0: continue our journey through Luke's gospel. If you would turn there, we'll finish up chapter 22. I will pick up in verse 54. And a study that I've entitled, a Trial by the Fire. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever failed the Lord, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because hopefully every hand would go up. If you know the Lord, you love the Lord, and you want to serve the Lord, chances are, at some point in time, you will be able to look back on your life and say, well, I could have done way better that day, that week, that month, maybe a year, maybe for a long period of time. And we have in front of us a passage that you can really take a couple of different ways. But I choose to take it the positive way. You could look at it purely as Peter's failure. Or you could look at it as the unbelievable grace of God extending to the life of Peter once again, even in spite of Peter's weakness, in spite of Peter's failure. He's going to be tried by the fire. And I want to put some practical application with this passage as well today because there is a path that Peter follows that you should avoid at all costs. A path that you can look at and see very clearly in the passage before us that you should not follow. And as we begin our time here in Luke's Gospel, I would remind you Jesus has told the disciples to go to Galilee and he will meet them there. When God gives you specific instruction. I can tell you a secret to having a life that is fruitful. Do what God says. His word declares it, do it. If you've received a word from the Lord in prayer, do it. If the Holy Spirit has ministered to you some truth, follow it and do so with everything within you. Because this whole thing, could have been avoided, at least in Peter's case, if he had simply done what the Lord asked him to do. And that was go to Galilee and wait for him. If he'd believed the Lord by faith, to just simply follow what Jesus had said. Would you join me in prayer? And we'll pick up in verse 54 here in Luke 22. Father, Lord, I just confess to you my own failings. Lord, I can think back on so many times in my life where Like the Apostle Paul, I willed to do good but didn't do it. Lord, those areas where you spoke and I didn't follow meticulously. And Lord, I have paid a price in my own life at times for those failures. And I would pray, Lord, that we would learn that lesson. Maybe this morning there's somebody on the verge of failing. Lord, and they can avoid it. Would you keep them? Lord, if there's someone here who has failed and they're miserable, Lord, they're regretful and remorseful, would you heal them? Thank you, God, for the transparency of Scripture to bring out even the faults of the disciples. Even at a critical time like this where they should have known better, Lord, Peter doesn't do the right thing. And so we give you this time. Speak to us, we pray, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And I don't want to belabor this, but I think it's important to set the the tone here. We are about to see the first of six, in total, illegal trials. Jesus is going to be tried illegally six times. And when I say illegally, there are procedures that one must follow, even today, for a trial. In our nation, it is a trial by a jury of your peers. There must be evidence you, when you go to court, you can't just arbitrarily file some, you know, motion against somebody, and then they have to stand trial even though there's no evidence. You're supposed to produce evidence, and so in the trials of Jesus, I'll point out the illegalities as we go through them. This will be, as we finish up with Peter here, the first uh, three trials, which are all Hebrew trials. They're trials before the Jewish religious leadership, specifically, ultimately, the Sanhedrin. But before we get there, we find Peter in a state where we often find Peter, and that's kind of on the fringes, away from where he needs to be. Church, this is the most dangerous place that you can ever walk on the fringes of where you need to be with the Lord Jesus. Verse 54, And having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Peter was told, Go to Galilee. Peter is in a little bit of rebellion here. Now, no matter what his reasoning is, and this is why this is so important to you and to me today, no matter what your reason is for disobeying what God has said, it is always the wrong thing to disobey the command of the Lord. You may have your reasons, you may have your justifications. You may have the things that you would say, uh, this is the content of why I'm doing this, but you will always be proven to be wrong when you contradict what Jesus tells you to do. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And I want to give you a backdrop. It's in Psalm 1. You can keep your finger in Luke 22. Flip over to the book of Psalms, the very first Psalm, the Psalm 1, the very first verse, and let's look at the path that the psalmist David declared was the one that was the path of the ungodly. He says it in the reverse. He says, blessed is the man who walks not. In other words, does not do the following. Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of the with sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Circle three words, walks, stands, and sits. This is the path to ungodliness. The path to ungodliness is you take up the same direction as people who do not love the Lord. You walk with them. Before you know it, you will then find yourself standing with them. First, it's a little bit of a journey. You're just kind of like, hey, where are you guys going? And then it becomes, well, let, let's kind of, you know, let's get a little huddle here. So how do you guys see it? Remember, the context is, do not walk this way. This is the path of the ungodly. And then you find the final step. You sit down with those people. They become your good buds. They become your friends. They become your influencer. This is the path to ungodliness. If you want to ruin your life, walk with godless people, talk with godless people, sit down and make nice with godless people. Now, this does not mean you shouldn't have Friends who aren't saved. But it does mean you should never take up their path, take up their counsel, or definitely do not sit around and fellowship with ungodliness. For what has darkness to do with light? Or ungodliness to do with godliness? We are supposed to be people who are separated. That's what saint means. In case you didn't know it, you are Saint. Insert your name. I am Saint Jeff of Lamida. Okay? That's who I am. That's I'm Saint Jeff of Lomida. That's who you are. You're separated unto the cause of the gospel. That's your life. That's your living. It's now about two o'clock in the morning. Jesus has been arrested. And Peter is about to be put on trial. It's mind-boggling what he goes through here because he did exactly what he shouldn't have done. He's now under the sway of Annas and Caiaphas. Annas pulls the strings. Caiaphas is the high priest. Annas is his father-in-law, the previous high priest. It's, It's a family business in essence a dangerous place when powerful people with ill intent become the people that you hang with. It's one of the reasons we have to be careful what associations we make, where we hang our hat, how we assign our value to a person or to a group. That's why it's very fruitless for us to become overly engaged in things that have the potential to destroy our character, like politics. You can end up in a really bad place very, very quickly. This is the most powerful man in Jerusalem. He has liberal religious views. And he is not interested in the truth. Why is that important? People who have liberal religious views that are not interested in the truth but have some other interest are very dangerous to people who want to walk with Jesus. Because typically they will influence you to walk the wrong way. To do what we're warned not to do, they're in Psalm 1. And so Jesus is in this crowd He's going to be put on trial, and Peter is where he's not supposed to be, standing far off from Jesus. Church, do not be found where you're not supposed to be, because it always coincides with you're going to be far off from Jesus. That's where you'll find yourself. When you go the wrong way and you stand with the wrong people and then you sit down with them, you will find yourself far from Jesus. Verse 55, as we see Peter's trials. How many times did Jesus say that Peter would deny him before the rooster crows? Guess how many we find in his trials. How many times Peter will be tried It is indeed 3, verse 55, And now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, here it is, Peter sat with them. He first walked with them, he stood with them, now he's going to sit with them. He put himself in harm's way. And a certain servant girl, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> He's just faced off with Roman soldiers. Seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he, that's Peter. Denied him. Denied who? The him is Jesus. When you walk with ungodly people and you stand with ungodly people and you sit with ungodly people, you will end up denying Jesus. When you're in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing, you will end up denying Jesus. It's a fact. I could give you countless stories. We could sit here all day today and tomorrow and the following day, and I could give you story after story that would coincide with this truth playing out in somebody's life. Woman, I do not even know him. And after a little while, another saw him. You also are one of them. But Peter said, man, no, I'm not. Got the wrong guy. I'm taking a little artistic license in case you hadn't noticed. And then, after about an hour had passed, Peter's been sitting with the wrong people. He's already been confronted by a servant girl. Another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him. That would be Jesus, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine Peter's heart in that moment? Can you imagine what the enemy was beginning to say in his life? Can you see the chances that he had To proclaim the name of Jesus, but because he walked with the wrong people and stood with the wrong people and sat with the wrong people, his boldness that caused him to draw a sword now caused him to draw out epithets. Mark's gospel actually says when Peter was talking, he began to curse and swear. So he's using language we don't use in church. You know, it would be a whole bunch of characters if you tried to type it out on your keyboard. Peter was cussing. It's like, I don't know this guy, dot, 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 dot. That's what happens when you don't take care where you walk and stand and sit. If you're unattentive to the details of your walk with the Lord, You're going to find yourself where you have an opportunity to proclaim the name of the Lord, and chances are, because of where you have placed yourself, you know, I don't know. What's this Jesus thing about? How many opportunities do we miss because we've chosen to walk with the wrong people? And there you are, you're at that party, you've compromised. You're doing what everybody else is doing. And instead of saying, Yeah, man, the Lord is so good to me, you're saying, Yeah, well, you know, my wife wants me to go to church. My husband makes me and my kids go to church. Yeah, dumb Pastor Jeff, he's always saying stuff that offends me, so I don't come to church. I know what you guys are saying. And I've said the same thing about my pastor. So, I oh, can't believe me? He was looking right at me. No, that would be the Spirit of God speaking to you. That's the Lord going, we got something to talk about right now. Y'all need to get up. You see, part of our problem is we don't like being told what to do. And yet when Jesus is Lord, that word means master. He's supposed to tell us what to do. And we're supposed to listen. And when we don't listen, oh, sometimes the mess that we get in. Peter could have said, man, I was there when he fed the 5,000. I watched him raise a little boy from the dead. I saw a blind man see, and instead, I don't even know who Jesus is. Don't put that on me. Basically, he's saying, I'm not one of the disciples. Now, I hope and pray that you all see exactly how deep God's grace is, because this is not the end of the story, amen? Hallelujah. Because for those of you that think sinless perfection is a requirement for you as a person in this life, and without it you're in trouble, the Bible plainly disagrees with that theology. We are striving to sinless perfection, but the truth of the matter is we don't always obtain it. There's grace in your failures too, and mine. The failure of the church. God's grace is great. And so you can see these denials. We can also see Peter's trail of tears. And immediately, as the cock crowed after he speaks that third time, verse 61, and the Lord, can you imagine? I want you to stop for just a second. Think in your own heart, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. My Lord, can you imagine? Any of you ever been in that place? It's like, Lord, I'm so sorry. What have I done? How did I get here? but I want you to notice what's missing. The Lord doesn't also say, liar. How could you? What's wrong with you, Peter? The Lord looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Church, I believe we need at times more bitter weeping over our own failures. The ability to simply go out and say, Lord, I'm a wreck. I am a mess. I don't have any excuse for myself. I am so sorry, God. Please forgive me. Please don't hold this against me. Beg for his mercy and beg for his grace. This is a sure sign that Peter had not actually denied the Lord in his heart. Because he wouldn't have been weeping bitterly if he wasn't also still a believer. He would have just washed his hands at the whole Jesus thing and walked away. That's the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, church. And when it comes to you, your response should be as Peter's response. Lord, I take ownership of this I am sorry. And it should induce a reaction in your soul that causes you to fall upon the blessed grace of our Savior Jesus. It should put you on your knees, both because that freedom for you to cry out to the Lord is granted by His grace and it also results in His grace. Well, i't say, that. "Well, I'm really sorry, Jeff, but that's just it, you know. I mean, three times, come on." You remember when Peter asked the question, "If my brother sins against me, Matthew's gospel records it, how many times should I forgive him?" And Peter goes down in our record book, our Bibles. you can almost see him. He pulls back his tunic a little bit. Seven times. And the Lord says, no, Peter, that's that's the wrong answer. I say to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Uses a single Greek word, murias, a myriad of times. As many times as it takes, you forgive him. That's what's available to you when your heart is inclined to weep bitterly over your sin. When you stop weeping bitterly over your sin, you better be very afraid. When you no longer are moved by the word of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when you can look at Jesus' face and be unmoved about your own part in what happened, be very afraid. Because that is a line that you should not ever cross. Peter didn't cross it. He got it. The message struck home. And by his grace, he will be restored, of course, the same three times. We find that story at the end of John's gospel. But God's great grace is available for you. And so Peter was tried by the fire, and he was found guilty. And he wept. And I pray if you stumble, you stub your toe, you mess up, you do what you shouldn't do, you say what you shouldn't say, there is great grace available for your great sin. That's who Jesus is. But it takes you confessing it. Exactly as First John nine says, if you confess your sin, if we confess, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the great grace that Jesus paid for on the cross. Now we see the three Hebrew trials. Verse 63, Jesus belittled, bloodied, and bruised, and this is a continuation, of course, of the Easter message. We're going to take these verses as we have arrived at them and continue them. Because I don't think Easter should be a day. It should be a life. It should be who we are as the body of Christ. Passion week should invade every week of your life. Not be a week that we celebrate once a year and then we turn off. The message of the cross. And now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, Can you imagine? I want you to think about who's looking in on this. God the Father in heaven sees his own son with a bag over his head and a bunch of weasels punching Jesus. Jesus. Now, I don't know what kind of restraint that actually is in an eternal sense, but I know as a earthly father, there's no chance those guys are going unscathed. This father would have taken out a bat and gone after the boys. Sorry if that offends you, but as a father, I love my sons. And nobody gets to touch them. Not that way. They did something and they they deserve it, but if they're innocent and you beat on my boys, you got another enemy and that wouldn't be me. I'd hope that the Lord in his grace would give me the power to forgive and to not swing too hard. (laughs) But that's God watching his son falsely accused with a bag over his head being punched in the face. I'm thinking in that moment, I'm making my son's face like titanium. They're going to pull back a busted hand and bloody knuckles and Jesus isn't even going to get touched. But that wasn't the case because the prophet Isaiah had declared exactly what would happen to Jesus and it happened exactly that way and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Jesus is now in the courtroom. And if our worldly courts can prevent this kind of behavior, can you imagine how offensive this was to the Lord himself and to his father? This is why Jesus, I believe, had told the disciples, you do not want to watch this. You don't want to see what's going to happen to me. You go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. Jesus knew what was coming. He was God. He knew exactly what would happen to him. John and Mark fill in the details of this particular scene, and now Annas... Caiaphas are are ganging up on Jesus and they've caused him to take an oath. As they're beginning to speak evil of him, they're basically trying to get him to confess to anything for which they can give him the death sentence. Very specifically, blasphemy. Blasphemy. Now, if you're trying to get a confession out of somebody, one of the easiest ways to do it is to accuse them falsely. Because they have to refute that testimony. And in doing so, they often, often incriminate themselves. And so these men were being very shrewd. And they held him. And beat on him. Prophesy. Now I want to tell you something. Unless these men, and we don't know, I'm praying they did repent, but unless they repented, when they stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, Jesus is going to look right at them and say, you're the one who punched me because he knew he he wasn't saying, "well, you know, I don't know." Gee, that's really strange. Somebody punched me. No Jesus willingly took those blows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. That's what happened. Amen? So in that sense, you punched Jesus in the face. That's why when we talk about these trials, there are going to be three that are Hebrew and three that are Roman, which we'll get to next week, but there's actually a a seventh one, and that's you. That's you. What are you going to do with Jesus, personally? For us who've received his grace and believed on his name, We've declared him to be who he is. He's the innocent son of God, and we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Hallelujah. But everyone has to make that choice. Everyone in that sense gets to put Jesus on trial in their own heart, their own mind. Gets to answer that question that was asked to Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Peter who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's the question. That's you judging Jesus. That's me judging Jesus. I can tell you who he is to me. He's my Savior and my Lord and my soon coming King. That's who he is. I've judged the evidence and have believed that Jesus was innocent and I was guilty. And I deserve to die on that cross. That's how I see the evidence. I too tried Jesus and I found him innocent. And that he died for me. Isaiah 53 was fulfilled that night. On your behalf and mine. And finally, as these trials unfold, Caiaphas is put under oath. The second trial happens. Jesus affirms his deity. Verse 66, and as soon as it was day, so the rooster crows, meaning it's close to daybreak. That's when roosters do that. Or God's alarm clock, we have those in Lamita. And sometimes alarm clocks make very nice fried chicken. If that's your rooster, I'm sorry. We've got this cool white Leghorn that lives behind us, and he's like so off. You know, he's, it's like 9.30 at night. I'm like, dude, come on, get over it. Take some Xanax or something. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council. So this is the Sanhedrin. This is the final trial. This is the one that would really count against Jesus. This is the one that seals the deal, if you will, as far as the Hebrews were concerned, the Jewish people. He's now standing before the Sanhedrin. Now in this case it was the great Sanhedrin. It wasn't the lesser. That word Sanhedrin just simply means sitting together. It actually is a derivative form of how we got our Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, if you notice, none are elevated. They all sit together. They're at the same level. They have the same rule. There is a chief justice in exactly the same way. The Sanhedrin had the high priest, was the ruler of the Sanhedrin, and all 70 sat together. 71 plus the high priest, 72 in total. In a small town, it would be 23 plus the priest of the town. And 24 would be there. So here Jesus is before the greater Sanhedrin, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you'll by no means believe. You've already decided in your heart about this information. Your hearts are hardened towards the truth. You have not believed. There's been plenty of evidence. The reason we know that is what the gospel authors record. And Jesus tells them, nothing I have done, I've done in secret. Everything I've done, I've done in public. I've said nothing hidden. You saw it all, heard it all. The testimony publicly is clear. But if I tell you, you by no means believe, and if also you ask, you will answer me by no means or let me go. So even if I ask you to clarify or give you another question or give you something that you should answer, you won't answer it and you won't let me go. You've made up your mind who I am. You've already decided what you're going to do. Church, this is that hardening of the heart that we saw in Judas. It's the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. This is when people have heard over and over and over and over and over again the truth and rejected it. Jesus is saying, you made up your mind. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. Can you imagine And then they said, are you the son of God? And so for those of you that believe Jesus never claimed to be God's son, here it is. So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. In other words, he agrees with them in the affirmative, said, yes, I am the son of God. And they said, what further testimony do we need for we've heard it for ourselves from his mouth, Jesus is now guilty of blasphemy in their eyes. He's declared he's the son of God. He's used the messianic name for God's son, the son of man that you find there in Daniel chapter seven. And no doubt they decided which witnesses to, to bring to bear, who would sit in on this court, And so the trial begins. Tell us, are you the Christ? They were never going to let him go. There was actually no point for Jesus to even answer this question, if you want to look at it from his perspective. He was not going to be set free no matter what he said. That's why the scriptures declare that he was put to death by the predetermined purposes of God. This was the plan, that he came to die in your place and mine. He'd been subjected to now three illegal trials, including this one. They weren't allowed to convene at night. They were not allowed to call the Sanhedrin together at night. It's now daytime, but they were called together at night. It could not happen in the high priest's courtyard. It had to happen in the temple court. These things are all illegal. Every procedure you could break, they broke. Why? Because they had already decided what they were going to do. This was a charade. And you're going to find that you're going to meet people in your life that no matter what you tell them about Jesus, their questioning will be a charade. They're not actually looking for the answer. I had a conversation last week with a guy about science and we were just talking through a bunch of things about creation and he was talking about Darwinian evolution and how he believed that that was how mankind got here. And I asked him a very simple thing. I said, so can you tell me, I said, and I'm not asking you to give me a formula, I'm not looking for you to describe in detail, but can you tell me how chemicals can store information without the information being ahead of the, the chemicals themselves? And he said, well, no, that's impossible. I said, that's why evolution is impossible. Because chemicals have no capacity to store information. And so no matter how many chemicals you have floating around in the emptiness of space, they will never get together without the induction of information. And he just lost it. It's like, what are you trying to say? I said, I'm just agreeing with you. you've made up your mind that there is no God. And I just proved to you that chemicals can't store information because you agreed with me. And so you believe that chemicals by themselves can hover around in space and produce things like amino acids and proteins. And I just proved to you they can't because you said so. When people's hearts are hard... It is not beneficial to argue with a fool. You just got to let it go and just pray for that person. They had made up their mind. They were settled. Notice verse 71, and they said among themselves, what need have we of any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. They got what they wanted. They weren't looking for the truth. They didn't ask Jesus why he came. They didn't ask him what he was about. They didn't ask him the right questions. They had predetermined what they were going to do, and it was evil. And they did it. For them, that settled it. The Son of God was falsely found guilty. Nothing that they had done would have stood up actually in their own court. If someone else had come to them with these procedures about anyone else, they would have declared a mistrial and let that person go. But not so with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. And so even the hardened heart of the Pharisees God would use to accomplish his good for us. Church, Jesus was exactly who he said he was and is exactly who he says he is. He is God's own son that came to give his life a ransom for you. And for me. And no matter what men may say. The fact of the matter is. Jesus is Lord. And one day to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will actually bow. Amen. So when you put Jesus on trial. You're going to find out. That he is who he says he is. And he loves you. And gave his life for you. So that you might have eternal life with God the Father. And with him. With the Holy Spirit. And with the rest of the body of Christ. And so when you think about Jesus. Remember what he did. Remember what he endured. Think about how all of these things, are. these are Romans 8, 28 things, aren't they? All things working together to the good, to those who love God, nor the called according to his purpose. No one's been called more according to the purpose of God than Jesus. And even this mistreatment was actually used to bring about your salvation and mine. Don't miss that gift. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. You're here today, and you don't know Jesus personally. Maybe you're kind of like my friend from last week that was trying to convince me that what he believed was true one moment is false the next. Don't be that person. The Bible still speaks the same message today that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came into this world to die in your place on Calvary's cross be buried in the grave and raised three days later and if you'll believe in him you'll be saved all you need to do is do what Peter did which is to confess your sin weep over it and invite Jesus into your life you need to do that right now you can do that right now for the rest of us let's do what Peter did Peter finally went where he was told to go he goes to the beach in Galilee and Jesus meets him there and says, Peter, go love my sheep, tend my sheep, basically preach the gospel. I'm going to come and get you again. Let's look forward to that day, church. There's a lot to be hopeful for in Christ, amen. Every day's a new day. A new opportunity, Jesus is looking at you, and he loves you. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you proved it by sending your own son into this world, that the world through him, you, Jesus, might be saved. And so, Lord, we pray if there's anyone here right now, maybe they need to just take a moment and stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and I repent of my sin. Come into my life and save me. Put my name in that Lamb's book of life, Lord. We ask that you would convince those who need to do that right now to pray that simple prayer. For the rest of us, help us to live lives to where we are not walking with the ungodly and not standing with them and certainly not sitting with them that we would not put ourselves in harm's way, but rather put ourselves in a place where we can serve you with a whole heart. So God, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for your love for us. Lord, forgive us for those moments when we fail. Lord, help us to do better. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message.